0: Welcome back to Talking Risk. It's a podcast by entrepreneurs, for entrepreneurs. Every week, Ricky and I have entrepreneurs on, founders of business, execs of business, vendors to business who talk about their challenges, talk about their experiences in building their legacies. What we hope to do by this is further our business education and your business education and also inspire others uh, to continue to build your legacies. Today we're very excited because we are on location. This is the first time we're on location, which means we packed up our shit and we moved it somewhere else. What is the official venue title for where we're at?
1: The Apex Administrative Complex.
0: (laughs) Jesus Christ, that is terribly boring. (laughs) I would call it the Superman Cave. Ricky, what would you call this?
2: Pretty fucking awesome.
0: Pretty fucking awesome man cave. Right. We can't call it Onondaga or Fantastic Caverns because that's already taken, but it is an awesome man cave, which you will see. Disregard what our guest Steve just called.
1: This is the man cave within the Apex Administrative Complex.
0: Very good. So as Steve continues to drink, he will loosen up, and that's a good thing. So, time for introductions. My name's Eric Reese. I am the co-host of Talking Risks. I'm also a lawyer and a CPA. I own a law firm called Aspen Legal. You can find it on the web at Aspen Law Team, and you should find it on the web. Ricky's my co-host. Ricky?
2: Ricky with Nutrition HQ and Nutrition HQ Franchising.
0: And we have two guests, two guests who happen to be very close friends of mine, uh, also uh, owners of a very successful business. We'll start with Steve. Steve?
1: Steve Arabic, uh Vice President and Chief Operating Officer of Apex Physical Therapy.
0: And Brad?
3: CEO, President, Apex Network Physical Therapy. Awesome.
0: And Steve is not in charge of branding, just so everybody knows. So everybody, everybody relax. So before we start talking to these guys about Apex and uh, where they came from and how they built a pretty remarkable franchise system across the United States, uh, Ricky and I like to talk about a topic that we call X. <laughs> He fucked it up again.
2: It's a button. I'm going to move it. It's called Hot
0: Topics. With Ricky, it may be called Ix or (laughs) Tix or Tipics or whatever, but it's called Hot Topics. And uh, what it is is what Ricky and I have talked about over the past week regarding business, regarding investment in business or entrepreneurialism. And really, this came from a conversation that I had with a potential franchisee of another system. And he was asking me, Eric, what does retirement look like? What can I plan for? How can I plan for my retirement? And the retirement that I'm talking about, Ricky, is the retirement of the average person, right? It's not, look, look, when our parents retired, they kept on trying to develop that, you know, nest egg, right? How much money do I need to produce the results to pay for our bills based upon interest rates. Because when our parents were, uh, you know, planning for retirement, many of them weren't thinking stock market. They were thinking about interest rates, right. certificates of deposit. My mom and dad, uh, and again, I'm 58, so my mom and dad uh, might be a little older for uh, folks that are listening, but you know, they went through periods of interest rates of 12%, right? Right. And and they could earn a decent living off of $1.2, $1.3 million. At least they could pay for their bills, right? And so I'm talking to this guy, and he's talking about his 401k and how he has a lot of money invested in the 401k. And I asked him, how do you pay for your bills with that 401k? You're invested in the stock market. How do you pay for your bills? What is free flow cash for you? And I know Brad and Steve and I have all talked about this. How do you pay for your bills until you're dead and beyond? And my position on this is you need to have um, assets that produce cash for you when you're not working as much. Now, again, this doesn't sound like retirement. Retirement used to be you sit on a beach and and you don't have to have to do anything, right? I'm talking about retirement where you don't have to go to work every day. You don't have to work 40 to 60 to 80 hours a week. You can peel that back to 20 hours a week, but you can pay for your lifestyle through free flow cash. And, and my feeling is have multiple sources of that free flow cash. And, and that's where, and again, um, this is not a plug for franchising, but it it's certainly a plug for business ownership.
2: Yeah, and buying real estate, but getting that passive income coming in because retirement and nowadays is a completely different landscape than it was 25 years ago.
0: Well, look at look at this. What is it? Dog coin that Elon Musk is into. Elon Musk goes on Saturday Night Live, and uh, Dog Coin, the valuation goes from seventy nine cents to forty cents in two minutes. Is is that where your nest egg is? Is that what you want to invest in? And again, no offense to cryptocurrency, but I got fucking jelly bean currency. One jelly bean is worth a million dollars <laughs> if you're a sucker enough to pay me a million dollars for a jelly bean. Look, I'm just saying invest in things that are real and will generate cash on a ongoing basis without you having to work in the business.
2: Right. Generate cash and generate... um equity
0: right because you know the stock market bully for it but we all know everybody at this table knows the stock market's going to tank we just don't know when sure right
2: it's a a cycle right right can't get away from it
0: right so again that's a, a a bit of a parlay to um over to our guests uh brad and steve who started apex so let's start with steve and let's talk about Um, your beginnings where were you raised and where did you go to school and all that good stuff
1: so uh small town Highland Illinois you know back in the day when I was born it was probably a town of 6,000 ish uh it's only grown to about 10 maybe 11,000 at this point so slow growth in 48 years um my parents were from this area uh, both come from a farming background. Uh, I went to uh, St. Paul. Uh, it's a Catholic grade school. Uh, when I was in my eighth grade year, just because of lack of, uh, I guess, participation or enrollment, um, the high school closed. So I ended up going to Highland High School, which is where Brad and I met. Um so we became acquainted there and became friends and played football together. And, uh, I went after high school to Kansas state, got an engineering degree, a civil engineering degree. Uh, I went to work for a privately held company, a large privately held company, Coke industries. It's an oil company out of Wichita, Kansas. Um, and I, I, By the time I was done with engineering school, I was kind of like, you know, the design thing really isn't me. I've done a lot of that through school, but I want to interact with people more. I just, you know, it's just sitting there grinding it out with mathematical stuff. I've done enough of that. I don't want to keep doing that. And so Coke was looking for engineers that were in a technical sales role is what they called it, which business guys, some of the chemistry and things that were involved, they didn't really get. So they were hiring engineers for this. So I did that. And I trained in Charleston, South Carolina for a while, got promoted and worked for one of their subsidiaries, Coke Materials Company, which was basically an asphalt company. Mm -hmm. They made all the products that went into road building, you know, which civil engineers could, you know, certainly understand and, and contribute to. So I did that for a couple of years and then I was like, I really want to get more into business. And what year was this? I mean So I we graduated high school in ninety, nineteen ninety. And I graduated with my engineering degree in nineteen ninety-four. And so this is I did my training, probably got promoted around ninety-five, moved to Savannah, Georgia. I was responsible for the states of South Carolina and Georgia. And then Worked in that capacity until, I guess, around 97 is when I decided I wanted to be more business focused, and I felt like an MBA would be a nice add-on to my engineering degree. Right, so you came home. I came home, I went to WashU, 97 and 99, went full-time to WashU while I was also working full-time, helping run a regional Small to mid-sized trucking company, um, and you know, so graduated and and in in between my first two years of grad school at WashU, I went to New Jersey and worked for the international division of Exxon, and basically, it's called ECI, Exxon Company International, and and they don't do. Same corporation overall, but ECI handles everything abroad. They don't do anything domestically. Uh, And so I worked with them over the summer, got an offer to go to work for them after I graduated, but you know they were all international assignments and I was kind of like I don't know if I want to do that. Did you
0: did you do this MBA on your own uh
1: ticket or was your employer paying for this? No, it was on me. Oh, big yeah. big it bucks. Was, yeah, it was on me and yeah. I got some tuition assistance scholarship, you know, type money and uh but still it was expensive. I sure. came out with debt and you know, had to pay that off and anyway, while I'm helping run this trucking company, Brad and I stayed in contact, and I mean, we stayed in contact all through college, and because
0: of the high school and because of the football, right, right,
1: right. yeah, just friendship. And so, you know, as time went on, and, and I mean, I'll let him tell his story, but sure. you know, we communicated, and and he was like, you know, I want to grow this thing, I want to, you know, and my existing partners, I don't know if it can happen. It's really not a great, all you know. Optimal fit necessarily late late 90s. Yeah, so this is this is this is uh, I went to Wash U from 97 and 99, so this is probably this is yeah, from 99 to 2003 when we when we ventured out on this thing, so. Um, yeah, we just we just kept in communication, and he's like, you know, I I know we can work something out. I know it, it'll work, but it's just a timing thing, and we got to figure it out. And so, you know, I was biding my time at what I was doing because I was, you know, in all honesty, I mean, trucking is not, I mean, in my mind at least, not super. Uh, fulfilling it wasn't it wasn't for me it was kind of a thankless business primarily
0: logistics that you were working
1: on i mean i was in operations over all the different departments but yeah it was you know it's it's just kind of a thank thankless business in general because truck breaks. they don't care yeah it's the stuff's not there on time they're mad weather don't care care. it's just not here i mean it's just no matter what the issue was driver issue, equipment issue, weather issue. It was still, everybody was mad yeah. if something didn't go right. Yeah, right. And so it, it How just. How do you
0: go from a civil engineering degree to working for a trucking company?
1: You know, it was a situation. My cousin actually owned the trucking company. And okay. so, and I had worked there all through high school. Okay. So and, you're yeah, familiar. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I so, got you. You know, and, and the goal was, I mean, he had kind of kept it small for a long time since its inception. And, you know, he wanted to grow it and kind of blow it out, and which we did. I mean, we kind of doubled the size of what it was yeah. over the, the time that I was there. But, um, you know, it, it, at the end of the day, it was still sort of like, I mean, when we, Brad and I came together, it was like, you know, I mean, I've done everything I can do here. Sure. I feel like it's almost a disservice yeah. to you for me to, to pay Take me. your money. Right. Right. Because, you know, I've given you everything I can. And, you know, you can utilize that knowledge and whatever and sure. move forward. But, you know, my heart's not necessarily in this anymore. And, yeah, right. You know, so. So anyway, this is yeah. this
0: is fairly recent. This is within the last 20 years that you and Brad eventually got together
1: as partners. Yes. Yeah. Yep. 2003.
2: So did you live in Wichita?
1: I did not live in Wichita. I trained in Wichita for yeah. a while, where Coke's yeah. headquartered, uh, but that was more of like a, a week or so training. Uh, that's where I did interviews and things like that. My primary training was in a combination of Charleston, South Carolina and Terre Haute, Indiana.
2: The reason yeah. I was la- I'm laughing because <clears throat> I graduated high school in 89 from Highland. In Northeast Missouri. Oh, really? Highland High School. No kidding. And then I lived in Wichita, and I lived in New Jersey. I'm like, this is oh, some crazy great. shit. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. Maybe so, we crossed paths. Yeah, I'm I sure know. we did. So, Brad, much like your conception, Steve's introduction to you was by accident, right? Because the Catholic school <laughs> shut <laughs>
3: down. <laughs> yeah, I, d- <laughs> I didn't go to the Catholic school.
0: All right. So... So tell us, because you've got, we, we've talked, uh, but usually over many drinks, about uh, your beginnings. Tell us about your upbringing and, uh, and how you got here.
3: Yeah, so I was born in Springfield, Missouri. Parents were both uh, farmers, <clears throat> primarily beef cattle. Dad grew up uh, south of Springfield, and Mom grew up uh, kind of around Waynesville, uh, both on Pretty good sized farms, and you know they met in Springfield going to college, and uh, so I was born there in Springfield. We lived in Aurora for I think two years, and my dad was in the animal feed industry basically. So he got transferred to uh, Georgia, and we lived in Georgia until I was five or six, I want to say. And then he then he moved to uh, Eaton, Ohio, which is a small town, you know, eight ten thousand people. <clears throat> so, how old are you at this point? So, I was five when we left Georgia, and we moved to Ohio. I was um, lived there until moved to Highland in seventh grade. So, okay, you know, twelve ish. Sure. Kind of an interesting story in Ohio, though. That was kind of, uh, I think, where I kind of felt like I wanted to be an entrepreneur at some point. I got some friends who were into motocross, you know. So I got, got interested in the motorcycles, and I'd ride their dirt bikes every now and then and go to dad, and i say, hey, dad, you know, I want, uh, I'd like to have a motorcycle like my buddy's got. And my dad says, "Well, how much do those cost? I said, oh, they're about $800. Yeah, well, that's not in the budget. <laughs> So I got to for retirement, was, that was a lot of money back then. <laughs> yeah. Our parents. Well, and and I mean, that, sure. that was, you know, and Significant. I, I will yeah. say, you know, my parents, I mean, we were middle class, but I never felt like I wanted for anything. I sure. never felt deprived whatsoever, but we were middle class. Sure. And, you know, uh, mom was a teacher devs and, you know, I mean, I right. felt like I had more than most for sure. sure. But, you know, now whether or not he probably could have sprung for the $800 motorcycle uh, maybe, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But what he did say was, I'll tell you what. If you can figure out a way to come up with
0: $400. Nice.
3: Then I'll, I'll spring for the other 400 and get the motorcycle. So yeah. I'm sitting there thinking, how am I going to make $400? Right. So paper. <clears throat> I think I was actually 10. And uh, you had, I think, you had, if, I'm, if I'm right on these ages, I think you had to be 12 to have a paper out. So I'm telling my mom, I said, you know, saw this in the paper, you know, paper out, whatever, delivers one. I said, just call the guy and tell him I can do this. And yeah. she's like, well, okay, I'll call him. So she calls him. he's like, he's 10 or whatever. he says, well, I'll come by and I'll interview him, see if I think he's mature enough or whatever. And so he comes by and he meets me and he's like, I'll give you a chance if your sister, my sister's a year and a half older. I said, so I'll tell you what, I'll hire my sister to do collections and he's like, okay, we'll give you a shot at it. So I get this paper out. She does collections. Of course, I pay Crazy. her next to nothing to do the collections. <laughs> That's awesome. which Actually, it took about as much time. Now, she didn't have to get up early and roll papers, right. but sure. she had to deal with all these yeah cranky people that didn't want to pay their, their bills. So 25 cents a yeah. paper. My paper was in
0: the bushes. My yeah.
2: paper was wet. Right, right. Exactly.
3: exactly. <laughs> So, you know, I don't remember how much I was making a week, but, you know, I'd I'd say after about six, eight months, I had the 400 bucks and I got the motorcycle and did that for like 10 years. But, uh, anyway, so, uh, moved to Highland in in junior high, seventh grade.
0: And what brought you to Highland?
3: My dad's job. Okay. Yeah. yeah. He worked, uh, his NutriBasics at the time. So he worked, he, uh. I remember stopping by. It's kind of a weird name for a town, Highland, Illinois, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. you know. But I will say the moving. Uh, you know, I think it did uh, uh, kind of help me learn to socialize, socialize, and kind of you know adjust to different environments. Sure. Uh, you know, you're not, you not just growing up and, and kind of be open, more, a little bit more open minded to things. And um, so, anyway, seventh grade moved here. Uh, went to the. Public schools. I, I didn't get. I wasn't privileged enough to go to the Catholic schools. They it's, were shut
0: down anyway. But well, you know the weird thing <laughs> was <laughs> Steve. But
3: the weird thing was when the well, Catholic few yeah.
0: things they did in freaking junior high school, <laughs> they said we got to shut
3: this down.
1: All, all Next I know,
3: day on the athletic case. Yeah. All I know is when when the Catholic kids came to the public schools, like we learned all the bad words, <laughs> exactly, oh, f bombs, yeah. and everything else, and. How to destroy things. and <laughs> Exactly. Angry, angry people. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Suppressed. <laughs> right. right. But, uh, but anyway, yeah, so
0: I guess. So you fit in in Highland. I mean, you had been around as well, and you fit in in Highland and took to it as your hometown.
3: Yeah, you know, I th- you know junior high was a little, little tough, just that age or whatever. And it was kind of ironic because I was kind of a – you know growing up i was a pretty big kid i mean not i'm just tall and sure. big and, and then like junior high when i moved here it was like everybody hit their growth spurt and i was like a late bloomer so yeah. i like you know it's like all of a sudden you know i used to be the big kid and i'm like what's going on here i'm right like, everybody's you know foot taller than me and they're shaving and right. i'm like corn fed yeah he,
1: he was extremely
3: late growth because oh.
1: even in high school right for probably freshman and sophomore year, yeah, we were the same size for the most part. Oh, you were bigger than I was. Yeah, huh? year. yeah, and then all of a sudden, like poof, I'm like, yeah. geez, what the hell happened? I grew a foot. Yeah, I grew a foot I mean, in high school. Yeah, yeah that's ah, amazing. amazing. I grew oh, a see, foot and I put late. on and I put on uh,
3: 125 uh, pounds from uh, freshman to senior year. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, interesting. Yeah, big change. So anyway, I played, you know, so I, when I got into high school, though, I started, you know, I started getting more into the, the sports. I stopped in the Cross, started, got into football and, you know, and I, that was kind of an outlet for me there in terms of the training and, you know, got into the powerlifting and Discipline. That, you know. Highland,
0: Highland had a great, great football program. I mean, yeah. it still does, but I mean, for a while, I mean, for many years, decades, it was, yeah, it was pretty dominant.
3: Yeah, we were fortunate. You know, I mean, we we struggled the first couple years, but you know, our, my junior and senior, year, we uh, our senior year, we we lost. Uh, I think in the
1: state quarter, semifinals. Yeah, semifinals. Yeah, we yeah. lost the
3: state the game yeah. before state to right. like, to Morris, Illinois. But yeah. you know, learned a lot of uh, discipline and hard work. You know, the, the weightlifting and the training, and we all kind of pushed one another. So I think that was a uh, you know, to your point, Eric. Another another uh, lesson in, in discipline and hard work, and yeah. I mean, we enjoy. We didn't think about it as being disciplined, then, but sure. Um, so anyway, graduated Highland, and you know, had an opportunity to play some college football. I didn't. I uh, went to uh, Milliken undergrad, and wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I kind of thought I wanted to do something in the medical field. Kind of like the, you know, thinking athletic trainer, mm-hmm. you know somewhat therapist therapy was kind of hot then maybe a physician and had pretty good grades so uh did did pretty well at milliken and decided to go into uh going into therapy okay so i did you know did four years got a kind of a 4-2 program with uh washington university they had this kind of an alliance thing so i did got a biology degree a minor in psychology it's hard to believe but uh
0: Considering you're psychotic.
3: Exactly. Correct. Well, you know what they say about (laughs) psychologists. So I went to, uh, then I went to Wash U, you know, two and a half years there. Um, At the time. So what year was this? So I went to Wash U in. 1843. Yeah. 45. Something like that. I think 45. Well,
0: we wore powdered (laughs) wigs. I don't know if that would help you.
3: I want to say I went to, I started Wash U in 90.
0: Okay, so you were there just a couple of years before, a couple of years before you were getting your MBA.
1: Yeah, I think that sounds right. right because okay. about the time he was done, we got an apartment together in Collinsville. Oh, which was right when I was going. Interesting, full time. Okay, and he was starting. Well, he'll get to you know his yeah, yeah, original yeah. business yeah. or whatever. But yeah, it was about that. Time. I think that's. That's close. Sounds right? Yeah. yeah. So second. WashU
0: has a good medical program. So you're learning physical therapy through WashU. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right.
3: Yeah, and graduated there. December of ninety seven. I want to say that sounds about right. Okay. Um, and then I. I You know, I had done some clinicals, and and I liked the industrial rehab, which is basically rehabbing injured workers, workers' comp. So I went to work right out of college for a company uh, that did specialize in industrial rehab, and and they they had four owners. It was a location in Alton, Illinois. And the reason I went to work for them, even you know, I think (laughs) that job, you know, I came out of WSU with – close to six figures in loans and I, I think my that first job I was making I think it started out at thirty yeah thirty four thousand five hundred dollars yeah. was my late, first. Late nineties. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, you know, I'm I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I got buddies that you know that work at Shell Oil that are almost six figures with overtime. Yeah. With no debt. I'm sitting there thinking, what the heck did I do? Yeah, too I much school. I think we touched on this, haven't we? Oh hell
1: yeah. yeah. yeah I mean I'm too so, much school. Yeah. Right. My, what, my starting salary with the engineering degree was thirty five thousand. Same yeah. deal. Yeah. When yeah. I
0: started as a CPA, my starting salary was nineteen thousand five hundred dollars. Wow. wow!
1: Geez, how'd you get so overpaid?
3: <laughs> but that Correct. was that was during World War II, wasn't it? <laughs> Correct, right? It was. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, I went to work for this company. I did have an opportunity to work. Actually, go back to Springfield, Missouri, and work for a, a large hospital system making probably almost close to double what I would have made at this company. The reason I stayed at this company was because I liked the kind of the it was a privately owned kind of an entrepreneurial type of an environment. So that was kind of appealing to me. You know, I, sure. thought, I like therapy, but you know maybe I'll want to we'll learn the business. Yeah. We'll yeah. Learn the business. So I so I got in and and you know it was a good company to work for, worked really hard for them and said, hey, you know, I've got interest in uh you know, potentially opening, uh, my own facility at some point in time. And if you guys would ever have interest in that, I would like to, you know, have those discussions and so, yeah, maybe. And so so I start, you're
0: soliciting them as investors,
3: even though you're an employee. Yeah. So these four owners, I was soliciting them and, um, you know, they kind of, you know, they appreciated what I did for them. They want to keep me, you know, on board and, and not look for other employment. So, um I kind of took it upon myself to start researching markets and I went to him and I said, "Hey, you know, I think there's an opportunity in Litchfield, Illinois." And you know, to this day I don't remember why, you know, it might have been. We didn't have sophisticated systems back then to look at demographics and things like that. But I mean, you were
0: still doing industrial rehab, so there must correct. have been factory a factory yeah, or factories that's what I was there
1: ready to say back in the day there was good industrial base in yeah, Litchfield. Yeah, well, I think I think what
3: Probably what it was was I saw a town of, you know, eight to 10,000 people sure. at Industries and had a hospital but didn't have any outpatient PT. So I think that was probably my primary driving factor was, you know, there wasn't as much competition up there. So I pitched it to them. They How looked.
0: old were you at this point? Mm,
3: so, you know. Graduated. I, I know I graduated December of ninety seven. I think I opened or we opened our first facility in December of ninety eight. So I was only oh, wow. employed as a year or so ninety. I was born in seventy one. So yeah. you know I was wow. twenty. Yeah, six seven somewhere around that. Yeah. Again, uh,
0: recurring theme on the podcast: people that are successful starting in their twenties, mm. right? Because I I. I signed my
2: franchise agreement with GNC in 99 and opened the store in 2000.
0: Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So when you opened that location, I mean, what were the circumstances? Was it branded Apex or you weren't there yet?
3: No, that was uh, that was a different. Uh, so the four owners, three or two of the owners, and then we picked up another one. So there ended up being four of us. Minus two of the original, the one I worked for. And I, I came up with the name Gateway Rehab okay. you know, because of Midwest or whatever. And that was a Gateway Rehab facility. And, you know, we did. That time I was, you know, as I said, I wasn't, wasn't complaining what I was making. I mean, I signed up for that and was working hard, but it wasn't enough to cover my loans and sure. a car, and then I had, you know, money for this new business. So, you know, basically at that point in time, you know, my life consisted of, you know, I'd work 8 to 4.30 for one job, and then we did most of the build-out ourselves. So, you know, one of the guys kind of knew some about drywall and stuff. So he, you know... How kinda, big,
0: how big was this facility? It
3: was, uh, um, well, you know, it was total probably... Forty-five hundred square feet, but oh. a big portion of that was warehouse. So okay. we had to finish about I want to say it was maybe fifteen hundred to nineteen hundred square feet is what we finished. And it, you know, it was basically a metal pole barn building that had been a, a trailer sales place and it had been vacant for a long time. So it was full of mice, I and mean, we basically I had to take it down to the studs because it was you know it was right. like mouse infested and everything. And basically, took it down to the studs and did the work ourselves, which took. You know, probably we started on that you know midsummer and it wasn't done until you know like I said we opened up December of '98. So I would, you know, get off at 4:30 from there. I would maybe swing by Leisure World in Bethalto for a half an hour and get a workout in, and then I'd drive up to Litchfield and then I'd work up there until 10 o'clock. And even being that young, I remember times driving home, you know, i go down, we lived in Collinsville, which is 45 here? minutes, right, yeah. and, you know, I'd be driving, you know, 10, 30 at night. I mean, that's fine the first couple, but after months of that, yeah, you know, I'm like, I'm falling asleep all the way
0: home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know. So, what was your percentage ownership in this first location of Gateway?
3: That was 25%. 25%. So, everybody was in for an equal share. Right. And then I was paid, you know, I was paid a my salary, okay, which they split because I was still working. I think I was doing initially three days a week at
0: the Alton Place, the
3: Alton Place, and then I was doing two days a week mainly business development management, okay, in, in Litchfield, and, uh, and then on the weekends, uh, typically on Saturdays, sometimes Sundays, I was doing uh, nursing homework. So I would go, I would, you know, like might be, uh, I would like a lot of the areas that were, and they'd pay me door to door. They were paying me 50 bucks an hour back then. So it was really good money. So yeah. I would, you know, it might be Salem, Illinois, Florida, Illinois. So I might have an hour and a half, two hour drive on a Saturday. but oh, so getting, you
0: were going as a independent contractor. Huh?
3: Interesting. For like NovaCare and some so they'd say, Hey, we need you to do. Four evaluations in Salem and we need you to do three evaluations in Flora. Okay. And so, you know, i get up, leave six thirty, seven o'clock, go do those evaluations all day. I was like, as long as I'm home by four or five, I so sorry nice And I'm were still,
0: you working under Gateway or you were just working as Brad at that this point? That was just Brad at that Interesting. point.
3: Because you know the the So Gateway this was, was
0: long before <laughs> this was long before people started thinking about Oh, I don't know. Non-competes and restrictive covenants. It right. was a free for all. You right. could do whatever well, the hell you want.
3: But honestly, they didn't care because you know, gateway totally was totally different animal. Not yeah. really competitive. Yeah, yeah. Was, really it competitive. was basically nursing home like <laughs> okay
1: evaluation. Those people aren't yeah. going to an outpatient facility. No. Like oh no okay. no they're yeah. confined to sure. nursing right home. Yeah, so sure. it's completely
3: different work. You know, all there was right. nothing going on at the business on the weekends anyway. Hey. <laughs> I- so they were fine with it, and you know, I did that for—I don't know—I probably did that for a year and a half, two years, just because it was nice, yeah, you know, extra money. But sure. I, you know, so I'd have my Saturday nights to, to occasionally have some fun, and uh, sometimes I'd Sunday morning I'd do it again, and then just repeat for you know however many years. Okay,
2: but just grinding, yeah. grinding hard. Well, that's just it. <clears throat> that's, I, you know,
3: it's what you do, and that's there's, what it takes. There's yeah. no, you know, it's it's not. You know, you have a business plan, you put up a fancy sign and you 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 do some basic things and then you and then you know, like one day you wake up and it's just it's just rolling and making money, it just doesn't work that way.
0: Yeah, but but it is interesting that you're thinking about, okay, what are the various ways that I can make money? We just talked about this. Um, there are so many ways to make money and there are so many opportunities. And when you work as an employee of an employer, your mind is kind of cut off from those opportunities, sure. right? First, your employer is telling you, if you're going to make money, you're going to make money for us, all right? That's that's one part of it. But it is that um, it is that attraction of mediocrity as an employee, right, that you just get stuck. And you sure. don't even know you're stuck. Yeah. Right. But um, at this point, you've got all this debt, and you're starting. Your wheels are starting to turn. It's like look at all the ways that you can make money with this basic education that I've been given. Mm-hmm. You know. All right. So, yeah. so you're working for the nursing. Home. At some point, you got to decide. Look, I don't need gateway i don't need to probably wake up at 6:30 and go to nursing home but at some point you decide that i can make this bigger
3: well I, you know i think it was kind of a it was just kind of a natural progression i mean i was doing the nursing home thing just because you know i was in survival mode at that point mm-hmm. i was in i was in i had to have cash flow mm-hmm. to pay my bills to pay my student loans so that was, not that I minded doing it, not that I was afraid of the work. I did it because it was a necessity. Right. And, you know, and in the Litchfield facility, it didn't make money for a couple of years. And, you know, and I had partners who right. had, had very, you know, they, sure. were, they were not long-term. I knew it was going to be fine. I yeah. did because I saw, you know, I was in the kind of in the trenches and I knew the referral sources, but they didn't, didn't necessarily, all they knew was every now and then, you know, we'd. Two months we'd break even. One month they'd have to, you know, pay a loan, bit. they didn't sure. like that. So, no, of course not. You know, there was there was definitely pressure there to, you know, to perform, and and uh, I had to convince them to keep doing it. But at some point it did turn the corner, and once it started turning the corner, people caught on, and it became, um, you know, I was at that time, after a couple of years, was you know was making. Uh, money i never thought i would ever make in my life you know like my right. you know I, I i you know i can tell you when i i heard of people when i came out of college that were making you know physicians and such are making a hundred thousand dollars a year and i thought yeah. if i could make a hundred thousand dollars a year in my lifetime yep, for a year and at any point in my lifetime yeah you know i would just be the happy, you know not, th- not about the money but just about yeah the comfort i'm
0: right? older i'm older than you but my deal was if, if i ever made fifty thousand dollars a year it was like that would be a big deal. Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, I, I agree. The hundred thousand thing yeah. that was like the yeah. pinnacle. I mean, if you can, yeah. if you get there, isn't that funny? You've made it. Yeah. Well, and, you, you know, know and you know. I would
3: have. You know, we would. I'd have. You know, you'd run into. Occasionally, he'd run into a classmate from high school or something. Yeah. To see him at you know bar over Thanksgiving. Yeah. Right. I remember this one guy. He was a, actually he was a therapist. He was working for Hell South and and uh, he may have actually told me he was making. Hundred thousand, and he actually may have been right at that time. He says, "Yeah, he says I'm making hundred grand a year. I'm going to be CEO of Hell South someday." (laughs) And I said, "I said, well, I said I can tell you, I'm not making a hundred (laughs) thousand dollars a year. I'm in debt, and everything I own, I can put in the back of a Pinto. But (laughs) hey, you're cool, man.
0: Exactly. So, Steve, you're seeing this whole thing play out, but you're his roommate. I mean, you guys are friends from high school." But as a roommate, you're probably ignoring it or are you Are you uh, thinking about what Brad is doing and going, well, maybe we should be in business together? How did that – I mean, how did that come about? Because fr- friends becoming business partners is a recipe sometimes for fucking disaster. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so, you know – I was doing my thing, helping run the trucking company, and that was fine. But as I said earlier, you know, I knew long-term it really wasn't where my passion Mm -hmm. was. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, I wanted to do something on my own. I can't speak to exactly when we had that first first discussion. Sure. Um, You know, and then, I I mean, I know we talked about it. And then I know, you know, it was still some time after that before you know, things played out with his existing partnership group to where there was, you know, it kind of came to a good point to Sh- break yeah. and, and make a change.
0: But at this point, you guys are both hustling, so you're probably seeing less of
3: each other than you're seeing more. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, I, remember, yeah. I remember one time I <laughs> talking about the nursing home thing, and, I mean, I was when we were doing the bill, and I was on a long run. I remember he was like, do you still live here anymore? Yeah, right. <laughs> it was like, I come in the <laughs> door like 11 o'clock. Right.
1: Yeah. Where did
0: you guys live in Collinsville, by the way? Where was your apartment? Skyline Drive.
1: Skyline so if you... Oh, fuck.
0: That's exactly where I had an apartment. Really? Right down from... I lived down <laughs> there. <that>,
1: that...
0: <Yeah, laughs> I, I didn't know that was you. It was me. <laughs> yeah. it's nice, nice times. Thanks for bringing that up.
1: <laughs> yeah, those were... I mean, it was it was kind of a new development at the time. And yeah. we got in sort of... Well, I mean, we were the first... Tenant in yeah, in a particular unit in that building, right? And so it worked so, out well so for me. Know, I was working in Highland and going to school at Washington. Where yeah. that where that uh, uh,
3: landscape company is is still there? Is so, that, yeah, yeah. yeah go so down you down go down and, and make a left. Take a left. Yeah. 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 yeah,
0: yeah. I lived there for some time till <laughs> kicked me to, out. Yeah,
1: makes yeah. sense. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. So beyond that, so Brad, at some point, you go, man, this. This has got to be bigger. This
3: has got to be what? what? I mean, how do you come to that conclusion? <laughs> well, it actually kind of more came about. Um, I mean, I definitely wanted to grow it, and so you know, when Litchfield got going, I don't remember exactly how we found out, but and what
0: year was this? I, I, I think it's irrelevant because um, a lot of people believe. And let's go back to the retirement, right? A lot of people believe that you gotta be set. Well, my dad used to tell me, dude, if you're not set by 50, you've completely blown it. And I love my dad, right? And he was very smart and he was very right about a lot of things. Not about that. All right. Cause I mismanaged my money for my first 50 years and then I started making smart investments and all of a sudden, holy smokes look at all this money right mm-hmm. and the funny thing is is that um it's never too late right it's right. never too late no. and Correct. i bring this up because steve and brad are in a, a good place and it's going to get better but this is recent when somebody tells me this happened within the last 20 years at 58 i'm going that's recent yeah. you know that's fairly sure. recent yeah. Fairly yeah.
2: you know yeah. and back to like your dad. I got out of the military, my dad was raging at me, yeah. right. so you could do twenty years, you get a pension, you get a retirement, I'm like I'm bored yeah. right, yeah, I want to go make money money right, right. you know and, and right. but he that's where he was. he was working class, kicked ass, sure. my mom was entrepreneur, but I'm like, I want more right. yeah right. This, this is too easy. I want more right
3: yeah right, yeah,
0: so what drove what drove the transition from you've got your litchfield location, you're hustling beyond that, you're spending a majority of your time still at the alton location. At some point you got to decide, okay, I've I've got to do something different or something more. Well, it,
3: it was <clears throat> I'll tell you what. So, you know, we got a second location. It was a hand therapy place with And the,
0: this is gateway, this is this under the still, Gateway brand. Gateway, so okay. this was
3: probably like I said, probably Year and a half after we opened Litchfield, okay, and then I want to say the the and then we opened Highland initially under the Gateway, and that I want to Steve might remember. I would say that was probably two thousand one. Okay, twenty years ago, and it's still still the same, still Gateway, still Still Gateway, gateway. still Still the same partners,
0: still twenty five percent ownership,
3: right. Um but what's now but now you're enjoying profits from right. these things. So then what also happened was the place that I originally worked for and two of the owners that worked there who were also my partners um didn't you know kind of got crossways with those guys so they split off and then they opened we gateway um, opened up in Alton outside of our non-compete, but we opened up an, an Alton location. So now, okay. so now I still had the same four partners, but the two guys, the two other guys that weren't my partners, you know, they were separate. So now there was no godfather for lack of a better term of the original company. And okay. It was basically just, you know, three of us primarily, the other partner had his own PT place and he was kind of silent didn't really get involved on a day-to-day basis. Well, what started happening was, you know, I—I I mean, kind of. You know, I'm a—I'm a perfectionist to an extent, and wanted things done right. And what started happening was the, the other two partners. You know, we, as we started making more money, Litchfield continued to progress, and then. You know, and are, we, are
0: you using the same business model that you developed in Litchfield to these other two locations? I mean, you—you you had uh, mentioned the hand therapy, which I'm giving you grief over, but—but. But, how are these systems developing?
3: Well, it, it was, yeah, it was very similar. We didn't really have a whole lot of systems in place. It okay. was more, you know, you just kind of, um, and we had, you know, we'd make business plans and, and we, would or at least I felt like I did and kind of, you know, every day I'd have a general idea of what I was going to do, what I was going to try to accomplish. But what started happening is the other two partners, I think, started making, I mean, don't get me wrong, we weren't wealthy by any stretch, but I think they were making more money than they ever thought they would. And I think for them, that was, you know, time for them to, you know, and these were young guys, we were all young. I mean, they were, they were older than I was, but we were all young. And I think they kind of was like, well, you know, as long as I'm making X amount and I don't have to work that much. And, And so what started happening was the, the quality of product, you know, because they were still treating, we were all still treating patients and the quality of the products that they were putting out was be, was becoming diluted and not, you know, up to my my standards. And so yeah. I started kind of getting just in general that and how they handled employees, um, it, for lack of a better term, they kind of started getting sloppy. They started getting lazy and sloppy. Mm-hmm. And so that's where, you know, that that created the rub with me was, hey, guys, you know, I know and I want to grow this thing. And I think they're like, well, that's fine or whatever, but we're not going to work any harder to do that. And, and it started, you know, started hearing complaints about the work that they were putting out. It just, I mean, it was not even and a matter. And were these
0: investors PTs as well? Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
3: And, you know, it wasn't even a matter of my opinion. It was just, it was, Yeah. it was just bad work. Yeah. And I didn't want, it got to a point where, you know, we just got so, you know, uh, uh, relationships, is, it was not good. Okay. They were just on different pages. So
0: what did you have? You had an operating agreement in place with these people? Right. right. Okay. So,
3: you know, basically decided that, you know, we had the three locations. And at that point in time, I, I want to say that was around, uh, you know, 2001, 2002, uh, say, started started the negotiations of splitting up. And 2002,
0: I, less than 20 years ago, I'm going to start my own PT empire tonight. Because yep. this is recent. Good luck yeah. with that. Right. So I'm sure you can do it. I want to cross some sparkers. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. All so 2000,
3: 2002, um, we split. 2003 ish. We split, and um, you know they took Lynchfield and and the um, Alton facility, and I took the hand therapy and the Highland facility. And that, okay. is, that was when, you know, during those discussions, I told Steve, I was like, look, you know, I know what I want to do with this. I it's going to be my we, own now. I know what we're capable of doing, you know, and I need a guy that's going to Operations. Be, right. You need know, yeah. an operations guy, a guy I can trust. Absolutely. And, you know, he was at a point with where he was at that, you know, he considered it. And uh, so that was when Apex was born. This is exciting. In yeah. 2003 you know i was um,
0: are either neither of you are married at this point no no you're just young guys yeah.
3: okay yeah. yeah which i you know I think was probably you know you're i think you probably tend to be a little more aggressive and, and risk taking when you're sure. younger sure absolutely you don't of course yeah you, know, you don't have another not that but you know i you know you don't have i didn't have didn't have used, Responsibilities. Yeah, didn't have it people pressure. depending upon. Yeah. It. Well, that's Other what was keeping
2: you. you up when you decided to start um, on course right?
0: Yeah, when, when you, you got, got, mouse a, family, to you got mouse a house to feed. payment
2: to make. I mean, uh-huh. When you're how single, how am going to do this? You just need beer money for Saturday night. Right,
0: right, right. 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 yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, right. okay. So ultimately, you've got now these two, two or three locations, two locations, three, two, and. Um, When did you guys decide then, well, let's back up, because we just talked about this, partners and how to develop the relationship with partners. I mean, those had to be difficult discussions. So I talk to clients all the time, and they get way ahead of themselves. So they've got a great idea, and uh, they all talk about, well, let's be equal partners, right? Right. And then they talk about, well, my gosh, this thing might really make a lot of money. And, uh, you know, really, it was my idea to begin with, et cetera. I mean, these tensions are real, right? Mm -hmm. So how do you have those discussions to where you reach a mutually
3: agreeable, okay, this is how the partnership is going to work? You know, at the the time, I think it was – I had I actually had a therapist too that was working for me at the time, and I went to Steve and, and him, and because I I was on the hook for it, I said basically, okay. you know, I was basically I was on the hook for, you know, we were splitting up. I was taking the business, but it also taking the debt, you know. Sure. So basically, yes, you know, I, I went to them and said, "Here's here's what right. I would be willing to do." Sure. And you know, at that time, I you know, the only thing I wanted, based on you know, obviously, was the ability to be able to make the big decisions. Sure. And yeah. besides that, I you know said, "What percentage percentage do you guys want to participate in?" Right. You know, and so um, that's kind of how.
1: Yeah. yeah, it really wasn't contentious. It was no. pretty simple, to yeah. be yeah. honest with you. Yeah. I mean, yeah. probably a lot simpler than a lot of people go through. Yeah, but no, it was. It was it was pretty smooth, you know. Yeah. He wanted his certain percentage, and the sure. other guy and I hashed out the rest, which really wasn't a big deal either. Yeah, and uh, you know, then we just rolled from there. Yeah,
0: but how do you do that? I mean, that's that's
1: not easy, right? To ditch now. I mean, you gotta you gotta you know keep the bigger picture in mind. Yeah, know? and some people get caught up in the minutia and whatever. But I mean, looking ahead, you know. A, that that and you know and I think
3: greed, too. I think you know you've got to you've got to if you want to be successful. You, in my opinion, with a business, you have to be willing to uh,
1: share in the wealth, for lack of a better term. Yeah, and, yeah, make you know, some sacrifices. Yeah, everybody does. Yeah, everybody's
2: got to give a little. Right. From from well,
1: my perspective, you know, in the in the trucking industry, yeah. I mean. Again, we talked about how it's a thankless business. And I mean, I felt like I had been to hell and back. Yeah. I mean, because yeah. I'm a I'm a worker. Yeah. I mean, there was nothing. I mean, I gave 110% every day, all day, six, seven days a week for years. Yeah. And, you know, so to have an, an opportunity yeah. for something different, I mean, you know, it, it was. A blessing in and of itself
0: yeah and i think it's more than just being willing to sacrifice or being willing to share i think it's you can't scale a business unless you're going to bring people in and reward them fairly sure right because you're just one person sure and you can only grow so big i mean we're dealing with this right now i'm trying to hire another lawyer, right? And it's like, I got to come up with a formula that keeps them incentivized Mm -hmm. because if they're not incentivized, I'm not going to grow. Right. Right. And that means that I can't have it all. I have to just take a portion that's a fair, a fair portion. Mm -hmm. Right. And everybody has a different definition, (laughs) maybe a fair, but right. You know, all right. So, ultimately, you guys decide with a third person, what does this third person get? What were they in for?
1: So, basically, the third person kind of, Brad was more, at that time, primarily in business development and, you know, just kind of big picture. He's outselling. Big picture stuff. Yeah. And the other guy was a therapist. I'm not a therapist. So I mean he kind of was at that point in time over the clinical operations. And then I was over like all the administrative operations. Sure. So there's three parts of it the sales, the PT
0: provision, and all the administrative and the back end stuff. Right. All the HR and billing and
1: front desk and you know. So it's set to scale. It's set to
0: scale at this point. Right. Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So what happens?
0: You guys sign an operating agreement. You guys now have multiple locations, which you throw into the LLC, I assume. Right. Yeah. done what?
1: Yeah, so the other guy and I buy in. You know, we hash that all out, what the valuation is. We buy Mm -hmm. in and, you know... Apex, it was Apex Physical Therapy at that point. You know, we rebranded And Apex I meet Network. you guys at the point that you're still Gateway, I guess? No, no, no. No, Apex. No, we were Apex. Oh, no. you were? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was, That was. Uh, you met us when we started the franchise concept, which was oh. probably around 2007-ish. Oh, was I'm so thinking good. we first started yeah. talking still, about that. But still, in
0: between this time that you guys form your partnership, And the time you franchise is, what, five, six years, maybe? Yeah, four. Top, Top, probably.
2: Right. It's impressive.
0: Right. So once you start, uh, once you make your investment and you've got these locations and you switch the brand, then where do the systems come in? How do you start developing the systems by which you're going to operate multiple locations?
1: You know, it was... uh, an overtime thing. But I mean, we started just dissecting the business and breaking it down, you know, at the front desk, what does excellence look like? You know, clinically, what does excellence look like from a billing perspective? What does excellence look like? How do we build, you know, marketing? What do we need to do? And how do we build accountability into every one of these positions and extract the maximum value from the people? Sure. And it was, you know, it was, it was something that we continued to refine. I mean, I'm similar to Brad and that we're, you know, I'm a, Semi-perfectionist too. And so the expectations were high on the people. And sure. so we just kept yeah, and I, refining over time. And,
3: and I think you, you know, with any business, you know, if it's not, I mean, if it's a franchise, they tell you what to do. But with any business, you have to, I mean, obviously you learn from your a lot from your successes, but you also have to learn from your failures. So a sure. lot of the systems, in fact, I would say, I mean, yeah, we, we, dissected and looked at our business and said, where, where can we improve at? But more, probably 75% of the time, a system was put into place because of a failure. Right, Right, a so, deficiency, something, So Absolutely. I'll use one example. The first marketing person we hired, you know, a um, gal who had knowledge of physicians and nurses and everything, and she would, you know, got her a car, and she would come in to Highland with her car, she go out and do her marketing during the day and, you know, kind of find out what she, you know, hey, how'd it go? Oh, well, pretty good. Saw this and that and that. So, you know, months go by and I'm starting to like feel like, you know, what's she, you know, what's she really doing out there? Didn't really know. It's not like, yeah, GPS. It's pack. kind of vague. Yeah. The production's kind of vague. So, yeah. I remember <laughs> I'm in my office and, and I was on a call and, and I look out the window and, you know, she worked. It's, uh, I wouldn't say her hours are typically eight to four thirty, eight to five, like that. And it's about four fifteen, and she pulls a company car up right next to her car. Both trunks open up, and she's unpacking. I would say her entire Christmas list of, of presents for her probably family. So she's family. been doing.
0: She's been shopping. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
3: So you know, I'm thinking. You know. I'm not unreasonable, but I'm not going to pay my marketing person to spend all day shopping. Of course, yeah. So you implement a marketing log. Yeah. So, you know, 8 o'clock, you leave. Sure. Drive time's 8, you know, 25 minutes, stop in at Dr. Smith's office. Sure. So you implement that. And you start, you know, those are the types of things, and you start having, you know, so basically, we didn't say, hey, we need to have a marketing log because... Sure, we decided to have a market, but what we also found Driven out. Driven by was, mistakes. by that's mistakes. It. What we also found out but that was we learned a lot in those marketing logs because there were things that went on during the day that she may forget to tell us or we may not ask her or whatever we'd see in the logs. Oh, wow. Look at that. And that's yeah. an opportunity. Data. Right. Data. Data. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you always have to be, I mean, we are always on the lookout for ways, uh, uh, things that. You know, for failures. Yeah, yeah. no, I hate no to say failure that, goes I don't, unnoticed. No, no, no. I don't, I, I don't mean I, that in a negative way. It's like uh,
0: tell franchisees all the time: the franchisor has made the mistakes that you don't have to. Right, right, right.
2: And exactly. uh, I do not remember who said it, but one time I and I had this on a huddle, and I'm like, a good business person is paranoid. Right. And you are, and, yeah. and Tyler goes, "Man, I must be amazing." Yeah. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah. Exactly. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: So you continue to develop this. How much of this though was driven at this point? Insurance is becoming a real problem with medical. Um, so I'll give you an example. Um, 20 years ago, we didn't know what a nurse practitioner was. We took our kids into the doctor and guess who they saw? The doctor. Mm-hmm. Now you go in, I go in and I see a nurse practitioner, right? And the doctor comes in for like two minutes, like, how you doing? You feeling good? Okay. I saw your reports. Okay. I'm out of here. Right. And it's like he's got to or she's got to do that to make sure they get paid by the insurance. But in the end, the, the actual provision of the medical care was by the nurse practitioner or the, uh, the medical tech. Right. So how much of the systems had to be driven by The fact that you're only going to get paid X for the provision of the service, that has to be a challenge in your business.
1: It is. You know, I mean, there's, it's diverse. There's some insurances that, you know, I feel like still pay a fair price, a a fair price, you know, good value for what the patient receives. Sure. And there's others out there that simply don't, you know, and, you know, just ethically and morally, yeah. We tell all of our therapists, I mean, treat the patients, sure. give them what they need. Of course. You know, sometimes we end up on the good side of that. Other sometimes times we on the, bad. Have, on the bad side. But yeah. yeah, it's, I mean, to your point, we're to some degree hamstrung because, you know, the other thing with in therapy specifically, I mean, most of the stuff, the way that we have to bill for the services we provide is timed. So, I mean, you have to spend the time with the patient. Yeah. You know, you can't make it up. Sure. You know, I mean, it's... You it's called insurance yeah, fraud. Yeah, you legitimately have to do what you need to do. And so the problem is, I mean, as the salaries increase, coupled with... Well, all expenses increase, right? Sure. Coupled with the reimbursement contracting. Yeah. And then you still have this... Productivity constraint of what yeah. your therapist can actually do in a day's time—that's fair to the patient yeah. and, and ethical and moral and all that. Uh, you know, it—you it, have to find other ways to become more economical and efficient in your business. Yeah. You know, because there's only so much you can do with the patient care while still providing the care that the people need, getting good outcomes, and living within the confines of the rules.
0: I mean, it's tough. I mean, think about it—you got a contraction of what you're going to get paid. You've got an expansion of what your employees expect to get paid, right? The patient care is a constant. Mm-hmm. You have to continue to provide the best care to the patient. Real estate costs go up. I mean, it's just—it's a yeah, everything. It's tough for sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So ultimately, you guys have how many locations before you decide to franchise?
1: You know. I don't know the exact number, you know, probably spitballing. I mean, what do you think? Maybe 20-ish Oh wow! at that point? Did we have 20, 15 to 20 maybe? I'd say that'd be the most. I'd say yeah, maybe, probably more maybe, 10 to
3: 15. Yeah, and was
0: that driven by debt? Uh, did you borrow money to open those things up? Or were you just turning the profits into additional locations?
1: You know, as we... Showed some success at the locations. I mean, we had banking relationships, and so we did okay. get a line of credit, and yeah. then, you know, parlayed that into a loan, and to, sure. to you know, replenish the line of credit, and, yeah. and and that's just kind of what we did. Sure. And so, as we could support the debt, and had the history behind us, and the success behind us, and could show the cash flow that could support it, you know, we just kind of grew it that way. Yeah. And, you know, at, we tried but, to be as aggressive as we could, but yet smart in the way that we did it. Would your
3: just clarify was your question? What was the franchise? No, no, no. Was that driven by? No, no, no. We'll get there. But before
0: that, as you expanded your locations, um, I mean, did that, was that driven by debt? We talk a lot about debt. We talk a lot about rich dad, poor dad, right? Borrowing money to make money is not a liability it's an asset and i'm a firm believer in that yeah, all right absolutely. when you borrow money to buy a, a boat 40 foot boat okay that's a liability it is not an asset okay no matter how much you try to justify it uh but when you borrow money to establish a business that's going to produce free cash flow That's an asset. Mm -hmm. You didn't add a liability. Absolutely. And I didn't even understand that when I read that the first time. And Rich Dad, Poor Dad, now I totally get it, right? Yeah. And so um, my my curiosity is how did you grow to those 20 locations, 15 to 20 locations? Did you decide that, look, we're not going to hold back. We're going to go ahead and borrow the money to develop these additional locations or – Did you wait until the profit was such that, okay, now we got enough money? How aggressive were you in growing these locations, I guess, is the question.
1: You know, it was a mix of that. Um, You know, we tried to make good decisions on the new locations that we would open. Sure. You know, the... And they were all around Highland or... At that time, yeah. I mean, the, the furthest kind of that we had ventured out was Effingham to the east and Springfield, Missouri, mm. uh, you know, which was four hours away at the time, but that was by far our yeah. furthest away yeah. location. But, you know, we just tried at that point to make good decisions and not have any anchors. Sure. Because if we could open a facility, the goal was always just to get it to break even as quickly as possible. If we could get it to break even, then we could move on to the next one Yeah, and the next one and uh-huh. the next one. And that's what we did, and we just kept – You know, but we weren't scared to take on the debt to open the next one if we had this one that wasn't an anchor. Yeah. And so, to the extent that we could have...
0: An anchor as in a drag.
1: Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Boat anchor. Boat anchor. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Break break
0: break-even was how... I mean, I know it varied, but how many months did you anticipate before something would break-even? 18. 18 months. Yeah, well, that's normal, right? Year and a half. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: So... You know, and then obviously as we grew, you know, the numbers got bigger and whatever else. I mean, we you know, our aversion to the risk reduced. Sure. And uh, after you know, a while, it's just numbers. Where, where we might right. do, you know, two facilities a year. I mean, now we can do sure. two a month if we want, you know, I mean, yeah, right. if, sure. if it makes sense. So, um, but yeah, but, I mean, that's just, you know, just kind of systematically how we did it.
0: The decision to franchise, I mean, that's a big decision because you've got plenty of clinics, you're making plenty of dough. Why on earth would you want to deal with franchisees?
1: You know, I think we had these discussions, and, you know, it was Brad's idea originally, and we were just basically had the discussion if, if we knew – Then, what we know now, how much further ahead would we be? You know, because if you look at therapy, and I I mean, I just speak to this from my knowledge in Mm. the industry, but Mm. therapists in general don't really get any business training, you know, in terms of credentialing with insurance companies, which is complicated, and negotiation with them so you don't get hosed on the rates that you're getting paid. Sales, And, you know, just how to bill, you know, setting up a billing department and, you know, all these different things. They don't, they don't get that training. They just don't. And so, you know, we thought if we could, we had, I don't want to say perfected because we'll never perfect anything, but we had refined what, you know, the back office stuff, you know, how to manage a front desk person, how to handle the marketing, who to market to, why do you market to them? How do you market to them? you know, how to run a billing operation, yeah. how to credential effectively, how to negotiate the rates. So, you know, we had kind of refined all of those processes. And so we thought, well, if we can let the therapists focus what on they do. what they do yeah. and take all this load off their okay. shoulders and, okay. and help yeah, them I, be successful. I also think that, you know, it was a, I mean, several
3: things was, was kind of dawn on me one day that looking at our business and thinking wow just you know how far we had come with our systems and our processes and thinking if i'd only known this yeah when i opened up my first one in litchfield right where would we be yeah so that was that was one you know one thing and then the other thing was you know i knew that there was a lot of good therapists out there that wanted to have their own business that didn't venture in, and had great relationships, were great therapists, great personalities, but they didn't venture into their own business because they were concerned about all those other things. Sure. Not, because you're not trained in those things. Right. And or they didn't want to venture in those things because they didn't want to do it independently. Right. So, you know, the, kind of the thought was if you have this franchise concept, maybe you find therapists that have those skills that right. want to do that. Right. But, and, you know, you partner together with them, which sure. has become as much of our business as just plain old franchises, sure. is partnerships. Yeah. Where therapists come and say, hey, you know, I've been in this market for a long time. I know I can make a go at it, and I know I can compete, and, you know, I have good relationships with a lot of patients, but I want your brand, I want your systems, right. and I want your support, I want to be able to pick up the phone and say, hey guys, what do you think about this? Is this... Have you had this experience before? And 99% of the time we have had that experience. Before. Sure.
1: So that's what what the thought was yeah. eventually yeah. with It patient. was yeah, it was a parallel growth path. Sure. There were you know, we were like, Well, how many facilities do we want to have? I don't know, a lot, you know, but we probably can't do them all anyway. Yeah. Sure. So it, it gave us this parallel path. But you know, the memory thinking back, you know, way back in the day when we used to interview the therapists ourselves, I mean Every one of them was like, "Well, I want to have my own clinic someday. Yeah, I want yeah. to have my own clinic someday." Wow. So that like yeah. resonated, so that just like was playing over and yeah, again, over yeah, and over yeah, again. A, sure, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: yeah. So, how much of the and you know, we, when we drove up, um, we saw the operation center. Um, how much of the back end stuff does the Apex franchise provide? to the franchisees? What sort of things are being done at the operation center so that the therapists, the franchisees can do what they love to do and that's
1: provide therapy to the patients? Yeah. So, you know, from a front desk, esper- I mean, at the inception of the franchise agreement, you know, when we go through the training, I mean, there's a full week long training of the front Mm -hmm. desk person of the therapist, you know, in, in all the treatment techniques and all that sort of stuff, but how to manage a clinic, how to run it reports, you know, why, you know, why we do certain reports, what the metrics mean, why those matter, all of that stuff. But speaking to more to your question, you know, we do all the credentialing in You know, through our credentialing department, mm-hmm. all the negotiation with the insurance carriers and, Huge. and you know, negotiating the rates and yeah. all of that stuff, you know, getting everything set up so they can get paid for yeah. the services sure. they provide. Sure. Then on an ongoing basis, we do all the billing. So we use a, you know, a all of our franchisees use the same EMR, okay. you know, which handles all the scheduling and everything else. So all the charges, you know, for the treatments that they render – Filter in to us. We bill out for the claims, and then we follow up. We do all of the not only originally billing the claims, but then following up on cool the claims, action. ensuring they get paid, yeah. you know, making sure that you know the authorizations are there. We've got people that audit the the authorizations and the claims on yeah. a regular basis so that there's no delays in payment we've got you do the front, shitty, you
0: do the shitty stuff we do we've got a front right. desk liaison I mean that's that, what
1: it is that the audits weeds. the front yeah. desk and right. make sure that right. these um, are the
0: things these are the things that doctors <laughs> will tell you why they're getting out of the practice of medicine Yeah, right. because that's what their practice has turned into <laughs> right is dealing with all these things that they really didn't want to do
1: Yeah, we've got you know a franchise development Managers, what we title it. Yeah. You know, and, and he has a call with the franchisees, a lot of them on a weekly basis, yeah. you know, talking about, you know, Deficiencies, I don't want to call them deficiencies, but areas for improvement. Sure, you know ways that we can optimize this or that, and why it's going to help you and yeah. all that. I mean,
2: so you're watching we, certain kind of KPIs, absolutely, that right. you can yeah, follow 100%. up because you know the system yeah. and like if you see something dropping over here, yeah. hey, which franchisees, right.
0: to this. which franchisees should once yeah. right because we're going to make you
3: better. Yeah. They don't always do that, but you know one one thing that uh, Steve didn't mention. Which sometimes we forget what all we, we do because it's kind of second nature. But one big thing that we do, too, is we help for site selection mm-hmm. and location. And, and, and that's something that can be very intimidating to uh, therapists and medical professionals is Determining what location is ideal, first of all. Secondly, negotiating the lease, talking about the build-out part of it. Yeah, the build-out's a huge thing too. I mean, it, most people don't have construction experience. Sure, most people don't know how to negotiate with the landlord. Is this the right thing or the wrong thing or right. whatever the leases we look at? And we certainly encourage them to use their attorneys to look at the you know that. But I think that's a big thing. We're pretty excited too. We you know we've developed in the last five years uh, an evaluation system internally that we do. It takes into account demographics, it looks at traffic counts, it looks at competition in the area, it looks at Insurance the providers, expansion. insurers, and, and basically it's a rating system we've done internally, and to put a number to a market, to a location in that market, and that has helped us tremendously in determining, you know, instead of just kind of, you know, used in the old days, kind of be driving. We always put boots in the ground, but you just kind yeah. of gut feeling is, okay, we think this, but now... You know, we've got a little more science behind it. And there's still that gut part of it, but there's more. Super,
0: super counterintuitive, by the way. Some of the locations that Apex does quite well in, you would just drive by. right? I mean, right. that's what's amazing to me. Yeah. We, uh, <clears throat> Steve, Brad, and I went on an um, insane, for lack of a better term, motorcycle <laughs> trip where we did about 3,500 miles in six or seven days. And we were literally Hells Angels by the time we were done. And we went through some of the small communities, um, some on Indian reservations. And uh, I know Steve or Brad would say, yeah, we do pretty well in this market. It's like, what market? (laughs) (laughs) All those little
2: things that you guys are doing that is all to get that franchisee profitable
1: ASAP. Right, right, right. Yeah, and it helps. Because that's what I was going to say. It helps shorten the curve. Yep, of, you know, from opening to break even and yep. and profitability.
3: Yeah. yeah. Well, and it, you know the other thing too that is kind of the you know la la land, but it's a very real factor is you know the stress and you know when Now, this may sound like a worry, but I, I mean I can tell you when you know the first few facilities and we weren't making money. Mm-hmm. And you're laying in bed at night and you're thinking, what did I get myself into? Yeah. But it was at a point where you had loans and you were you had a lease and I wasn't filing bankruptcy. Yeah. So you had no choice but to get up and just keep going at it. Sure. Man, and, there
2: were days when I had my seven stores and I'd wake up and like, you feel like you're just stepping in two foot of mud, right? Yeah. And then you just were so happy when you lay down at night. I was like I survived another day. Right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Yep. Brad, Brad, Brad.
0: Brad and Steve, before I started my firm, best advice rings in my head every fucking morning is get up, work hard, have a good day. Tomorrow, do it again. Add the days up, turn them into weeks. Turn the weeks into months, turn the months into years, yeah. you know? And that's that's Great for advice. sure, right? Great advice. Yeah,
3: the success yeah. doesn't come from, you know, like this aha and, and this right. big. It's, no. It's uh, for a it it, lot kind of it's Kind of, yeah. It's kind of boring. I mean, for lack of a better term, it's kind of simple and boring, but yeah. there's uh, not But it not looks boring. easy.
0: It looks easy.
3: The end product the looks easy. The end product
1: looks easy. It's funny you say that because we've been told that numerous times by smart people. Yeah. You guys make it look easy. Right. The fact of the matter is it really isn't. Right. You know, it's more like what Ricky talked about Course. earlier, which is grinding it out yeah. all day, every day. Yeah. For a long time. Yeah. Making a bunch of successive good decisions. Way more good decisions than bad decisions. Sure. And, you know, getting some momentum behind you and then parlaying that into the next deal. But the yeah. hard work part never goes away. No, right. you I mean, got to embrace it the grind. Never goes away. You
2: got to embrace right. the grind, or I, you'll never right, make. I
1: appreciate it. that people say we make it look easy, and you know, I mean, we enjoy it, and that's probably why people yeah. think right. it looks easy. You know, sure. that because we're not mad about it. I mean, sure. this is just what we do and how we do it and whatever. But sure. I mean, there's well, there's a lot of grinding that goes. I mean, into that it. that being said, I mean, to your to your
3: situation. <clears throat> So, you're looking at hiring a, another sure. attorney. So, you hire one, and then, you know, maybe you hire, you know, second or third. At some point in time, you're probably going to be in a position to where you don't have to work 60 hours a week. Sure. Time. You know, because you're getting older. You want whatever it sure. might be. What the and hell do you mean by that?
1: <laughs> I think he meant to say 80 and older. You're already <laughs> 60 and older, Jesus.
3: older. <laughs> But, you know, you can, you can, um, you know and we've had some franchisees that have, have experienced you know those successes and and you know like for instance I, you know obviously I'm not going to say which one it is but there's a, there's a two guys that uh, started one down in the southwest and uh great market and they've done very well great great results mm-hmm. and um I've opened a second location and you know when they first started out obviously they were You could tell kinda uneasy and unsure and and nervous. And the one owner, I wanna say they were about three years in and they were looking to open their second one. And his comment was, he says, I'm gonna open a second location I'm gonna punch my next lottery ticket. Because you know, so he he is just ecstatic. Yeah. And you know, and it's and it's been now it's a lot of things they've done. Sure. It's a great market. Uh, markets that they're in, but they've worked very hard. But there, it really makes us feel good to see owners become successful like that. Yeah. And, you know, and not only are they building you know, that that cash flow, yeah, you know, they've got they've got a very valuable business. Yeah. I mean they've in a short period of Yeah, time, they're building they're, equity.
1: Yeah,
0: one equity. one of the real benefits and I'm not saying this just because Apex is a client and Brad and Steve are good friends, but Um, One of the real benefits of the franchise that you guys offer is the money that you're charging through royalties, in my opinion, is low compared to the market value of the services that you're providing to the franchisees. If they had to go either hire this done right Mm -hmm. internally or hire a service outside of it, It'd probably be more, is my guess, right? And so yeah, for sure. we can't lose track of that. You know, so many franchisors I represent um, complain about those franchisees that are complaining about the franchise system. And what those franchisees don't realize, nine times out of ten, not always, but, but certainly nine times out of ten, is you don't realize how good you have it. Right. Because... The services, the stuff that we're doing for Mm -hmm. you on the back end, that if we stop doing, Mm -hmm. you would have to do yourself. You'd pay twice as much, right? You know, it's frustrating. A lot of that does does get lost.
1: they kind of don't know what they don't know to some extent. You'll pay
2: twice as much, and it's going to take twice as long,
1: and it won't
0: be as good.
1: That's right. Right, (laughs) and so um, that has to be frustrating for sure.
2: How many units total now?
1: You know, I want to say around ninety-ish. We should be, you know, I'm, we should be over a hundred by the end of the year. We've got it's awesome, pretty well strong pipeline of stuff. That's awesome, right? That's exciting. So, yeah. yeah. So,
0: what's the future hold? Where Where do you guys want to take this, and and what are you thinking? I know you guys are younger than I. You constantly remind me, but a lot. Um, right. But
1: uh, where do you guys want to go with this? You know, we, uh, we just keep doing what we're doing and, uh, feel like we're young and, you know, just keep grinding away. Uh, it's exciting. You know, a lot of the, um, I mean, the, the systems that we have now and the momentum that we have, you know, I mean, pre COVID, mm-hmm. I was like, 2020 is going to be epic. Yeah. You know, it, it was going to be great. And then we got punched in the gut with that sure. whole thing and. Um, you know, yeah. it, it was a significant hit. Um, I, I think, I think, the opportunity
3: is uh, tremendous. Uh, you know, there's a lot of private equity activity, uh, a lot of, you know, I I don't know this for a fact, but I'm pretty confident that I could say we're we're probably the largest privately owned PT company in the country. Wow. Um, almost all of them have been bought by private equity at least once, typically multiple times, uh, the bigger ones, because most of the transactions we're seeing now are, are uh, companies that are 10 facilities or less. In fact, most of the ones you're seeing now are five facilities or less. So I don't, if there is one that's not, that's still privately owned, that's, I'm almost positive there's not of our size. Um, you know, and I think that, that in and of itself is creating some opportunities Sure. with the, for a lot of different reasons that you know I don't necessarily want to get into but um and then I think too with the franchise concept and that you know our facilities are not we still have corporately owned facilities but with the franchise facilities and having of the owners, the quality's not uh, it's not getting diluted uh you know because you have so many it's harder to keep track of. You sure, know, people that care because it's their business, it's their pocketbook. And when you get when you get people, a lot of people pointing in the same direction, instead of you know just I'm working for the man and some buy into that, some don't. Or if they're not an owner or a partner yet, they know that we embrace that and we encourage that. So we we tell every massage got true. We tell every therapist, if you ever have the, you ever want to have a facility as a partnership, or you ever want to have a franchise whether you want to still work for us and hire another therapist or if you want to step out and do it on your own. And, you know, we, we would still rather have you as a franchisee. We don't we don't like to lose you as an employee, but if sure. we would still rather have you as a franchisee than have you leave right. and be a competitor or work for somebody that you may say, look back and say, I wish I wouldn't have left. So we, we definitely encourage that. And I think that creates tremendous uh, momentum and we get a lot of great ideas from our partners and our franchisees. So whenever we partner with somebody we say, Hey, shoot holes in our systems, right. right. Tell us what you don't like. And if you, you know, if you, if you find a flaw, you know, I'm going to thank you. Right. You know, you're not, you're not calling my baby ugly. You're right. Call my baby ugly. Right. Right. Cause that's how, that's how we get better.
0: So I will say this, uh, again, sh- shameless pro- plug for sure. But, um, you know, I have known Brad and Steve now for a long time. I, 20 years, almost, maybe, getting closer. Yeah. And um, I will say this, that these are individuals, we talk about successful entrepreneurs who you would never know how successful they are or how they're doing from their own mouths, right? And these are individuals who are constantly complimenting others as opposed to, complimenting themselves right and these are folks who are genuine with respect to trying to get their franchisees to be successful what the fuck is that in the background does anybody hear that
1: it's ice ice maker oh jesus it's a widget maker (laughs) yeah
0: i thought that was someone (laughs) making copies behind (laughs) me
3: yeah (laughs) it's our little we have gremlins
0: out here right for christ's sake and um, that's what impresses me about them. First time I met these guys, I was convinced, which one was I convinced didn't like me? I think I was convinced Steve didn't like me.
1: That sounds right. Yeah. That's, that's, ty- that's typical.
0: Right. <laughs> Brad seemed to like me, but Steve couldn't warm up to me. It took him about 10 20 years. years. <laughs> <laughs> years. <laughs> take,
2: a, take a on-site podcast. Of yeah.
0: Liquor. But uh, we, I mean, I tell them all the time and it's genuine. And they might have uh, been uncomfortable at first. How proud I am of them, and and that's sincere. You guys have done a remarkable job. Can you c- capture? Because this doesn't. This looks like we're in an airplane hangar. Uh, can can we capture any of this? Because we ought to, right? Yeah.
2: What I'll do. I can. I mean, whatever you guys want are open to putting out putting out there.
0: Yeah, we ought, up to we, you. Yeah, we ought to capture a little bit of, of where we are in what Steve calls the administ, 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 <laughs> administrative complex. complex. <laughs> complex. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Holy moly. All right, so I'm going to ask you uh, the unfair question that we ask of all guests, and uh, Brad's a little uh, uncomfortable. It's not about sexual orientation, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to ask <laughs> each of you the question. If you had to tell a young entrepreneur or wannabe entrepreneur uh, a couple of things, what, what? I mean, what are the greatest lessons that you know people say? What would you tell your younger self? But I think it's important. How would you sum up um, what you would tell a younger person? who wants to get in business, who wants to take a risk? What, what are the things that they should know? Let's start with Steve and then we'll go to Brett.
1: You know, I would I would just say, follow your dream. You know, one of the things that, you know, one of the tenets that we've always lived by is work hard, do the right thing, and the rewards will come. You know, yep. I mean, if you're reaching for millions of dollars or the profitability or whatever. Yep. You're probably a empty. little bit misguided, Yep. you know, so work hard, do the right thing, be dedicated, follow your dream, and that, you know, the monetary piece yep. will come. Sure. Hmm.
0: Good. Brad?
1: Yeah. I mean, I would definitely echo
3: those things as well. I think, you know, I think first and foremost, it has to be something that, that you're passionate about and you and you enjoy doing because you're going to spend a lot of time doing it. Um, and, you know, something that can be challenging, but, you, you know, you still have, a, it still drives you to want to do it. There's nothing worse. I mean, you're not, if it's something you can't stand doing. It's it, going to be tough. It's going to yeah. be tough. And, you know, and to Steve's point, kind of adding on to that is, it, you know, it can't be just driven by, if it's all driven by money, um, and you know, you, you have, I mean, obviously everybody wants to make a living at it and sure. everybody wants to do the best that they can do. But the, the money is, is a secondary, uh, thing of, um, you know, doing things the right way, working hard and, and, you know, the, like I, I kind of brought up and, you know, the, the, the partners that I spoke of that. You know, I think it was more about money than it was about doing things the right way and, and, and necessarily having something they're proud of. You know, they're no longer in business.
0: Greed kills all.
3: Greed does kill all. And, and they're no longer in business. And so I think if you, if you do the right thing, you know, and you have to treat people good. You know, treat yep. people like you want to be treated. I think you have to be humble. Um, you know, you start getting full of yourself and you start taking yourself too seriously, then... You stop listening to other people. You stop, um, you know, you, you, you get an arrogance about you. And, and you know, and, and you see that with some business owners that crash and burn. You know, they, they get very they get successful. And,
0: so so let me bring up what uh, a friend of mine, Scott Sockleben, who uh, was a partner of mine, uh, practiced a law. And then he went to uh, Schnucks to their real estate development arm. Uh, He told me something that I see in you guys. I know it exists both in Ricky and I as well. Um, The ability to talk to anybody Mm -hmm. and the willingness to talk to anybody, Mm -hmm. right? So I've been across the country more than once with these two on the back of motorcycles. And it doesn't surprise me when I see Brad talking to the gas station attendant or Steve talking to the C-store employee, mm-hmm. right? L- learning, right? Constantly learning because those people may teach you something, right? right? And that's that humility that I I agree is 100% necessary in my opinion to be to be successful. Stay yeah. grounded. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, stay grounded. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. you could be successful but you're a big dick and everybody yeah. hates you, right? Yeah. Yeah. For yeah. sure.
3: And you know, I think I think that kind of comes from, you know, with me, I think from my my background, my parents, you know, farming background. Um, but, you know, and I and I, I kind of judge. Uh, there's been occasions where you go to a nice dinner, a nice place, and, you know, maybe you're entertaining a partnership with, with someone or maybe, you know, it's something or some other business thing. And, you know, I always watch how, how that person treats the waiter or waitress. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, and you know, or how they speak to the person that seats them, or how they, the valet, and they don't, you know, I'm not saying they have to, but if they're, they don't have to necessarily strike up a conversation. They don't necessarily have to be super nice to them, but, but don't
0: treat be, them as an inferior. But if, they're, but
3: if right. they're rude to them, or they're condescending, or they're Agreed. you know, I don't. That's that right there tells me something about their character. Yeah. Red flag, hundred yeah. percent. They're yeah. gonna
2: be that way to their employees, to their staff, right. Right. to their
0: clients. Yeah.
2: Right.
3: I mean, I you know, I I talk the same way to, you know, our highest level guys as I do our high school intern.
0: Sure. Awesome. Of course. Mm-hmm. So, if people were to look for you guys on the web, how how are they going to find you?
1: apexnetworkpt.com
0: apexnetworkpt.com yeah. All right, so I knew our uh, conversation with you guys would be very enlightening, and I uh, appreciate it. I've learned some stuff that I didn't know about you guys, even though I've known you for a long time, and uh, I appreciate you guys coming on.
3: Yeah, well, we, guys, it's been great. Appreciate you yeah. guys having us, and you know, I'd like I said, I've known Eric a long time, and he's uh, he's definitely been a you know a piece of Peace. ours, of mm-hmm. our, of our, <laughs> of an it's asset tough. to our to our yeah I mean yeah. he's got a good good business.
0: We're friends first, and we always talk about this. We're friends first, but
1: we're you? I mean we're very proud of you for your thank you. you know, yeah, clients you do clients firm. don't
0: matter if we're not firm. but well, well, not friends and, first, so for sure. Know,
3: and you know we had a conversation one day, and, and and I was very sincere, and I told you that that you know I you know I really respect what you've done. To want, you know, to say, hey, you okay, I just want to go out on my own. And, you know, it's, I will say, in, in a lot of ways, I feel like it was easier for me to do it when I was 27. Yeah. And when you're, you know, a little bit older and you have family and kids and mortgages and stuff. You know? Yeah. So I get, you know, I get the... the but,
0: man, it's so much better. Yeah. yeah. You know, but don't I don't know why I was scared. But, but, but you know, started,
2: starting a business young, back to that... <clears throat> You're gonna fail in something. Yep. Yeah, but you have more time to rebound. Right. right? Yeah, yeah. Sure. and you're gonna be smarter, much yeah, smarter. Yeah, that's right.
3: that's something you know. Talking about the failure that you know, I would definitely tell young entrepreneurs too is you have to be, you know, you have to be fine with fail, having failures and, and getting your lunch handed to you. You have to learn to get back up because I can tell you right now I've been kicked down many a yeah. time. You know, you've everybody's probably heard the story about Abraham Lincoln. You know, I mean, this is a guy who you know I forget what all he failed in. Right. But it was a lot of things. Yeah. And, you know, and he ended up becoming president. So you have to, you know, not everything's going to go your way. Yeah. There's going to be, in fact, in talking about being nervous, that's the other thing is, you you know, that's that's a normal, you should be, have some nervous and some insecurities and some uneasiness about that. You know, a funny story about that is a little side note. We were out, uh, my son and I, he's a golfer, and he caddied for a guy that was a PGA player. And he's since retired, but he's still a fairly young guy, a good player, retired to spend more time with his family. He may end up going back out there. But we, we had an opportunity to play Pebble Beach and Spyglass and uh, um, uh, Spanish Hills, three courses out there. And you know, it was a tournament type style playing we were playing against some professional athletes and things like that guys who are really good golfers too and and it was funny because my son and, and him were doing an alternate shot tournament and this michael letzig you know he's i'd say he's maybe 37 and uh i mean this is a guy who's played with tiger woods twice on sunday oh. you know he was really good player all american in college and he comes up and he's like you know, he's getting ready for the shot and everybody's kind of standing around there he's like i'm really nervous he's sitting there huh? telling me this he's like he's like i know i used to play freshman golf and everything but because i'm really nervous. i said you know that's, what, michael? I said, that's awesome you're nervous i said that yeah. means a you care b you're getting your, your juices going again yeah, and he's like right. he goes well i kind of like it but i'm just telling you i'm nervous yeah. <laughs> i said, I said you know I'll just embrace it yeah embrace it and that's what i tell michael and, and it's easy for me to say of course but um, you know, golf is one of those things, everything's on your shoulders. Yeah. I mean, you know, you got nobody to blame. And, and so that's what I tell my son. I was like, you know, that nervousness is, is normal. That, yeah. Those insecurities, those nights sometimes you're waking up, that is a normal. Because if you don't ever have that, then you're probably not engaged enough with your business. Don't yeah. care enough. You Agree. Know? Yeah. what uh, 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 oh, a quick story. <laughs> <laughs> we're, you know, we're driving down the interstate, come back from Springfield, Missouri, and Steve and I from – our clinic, <laughs> and he—I don't know—he got it was when uh, Ford and Chevy were having their oh, their yeah, meltdown, and he gets on a rant about Ford, and he's like, you know, I mean, it's no wonder Ford's having problems. I mean, look at these cars they're making. For God's sakes, a Ford Five Hundred. I mean, who in the f buys a Ford Five Hundred or driving down a new Ford Five Hundred <laughs> down the <laughs> interstate? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, I don't
1: know. Should we tell him? Should we not? I don't know. He He didn't find out until he saw us. uh, It looks good on you, though.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, All right. Ricky, if you can find the right button, take us out. Yeah.
2: And don't forget to follow us on your um, favorite podcast platform and our YouTube channel, Talking Risk.